grab your Bibles now. And let me just ask a question, actually. 2019 is coming to an end. How many of you guys are legit ready for 2019 to be done with? Like, you're, you're like, move on. Let me ask you a different How many of you guys are excited for 2020 to begin? You're excited. For, okay, it's been, yeah. I'm excited for both. I kind of like a new starts and a fresh do-over in 2020, and I like to do things new. And let me just challenge you right now before I tell you what I'm going to tell you. In order to have a new year, you got to actually have a new you. Okay, nothing new is going to happen in 2020 that didn't already happen in 2019 if what is new doesn't start with you. It's got to start in your heart. Because the issue, or should I say it this way, the heart of every issue in your life is an issue of your heart. And I'm going to help you guys in 2020. Me and the staff put this together just over the weekend, really. And our gift to you and our challenge to you and our commitment to you is to help you become a new you in 2020. And here's how we're going to do that. The Bible says that we are renewed by the washing of the water of the word. That when we spend time with God in his presence, we're renewed. We're made new from the inside out. And that then determines and impacts our surroundings. And so one of the best ways to do that is by spending time with God in his word and spending his word in time in you. And that's just spending time reading. But if you found it difficult to read your Bible, anybody, anybody besides me busy and don't know how to read the Bible, here's what we are going to do for you. In January, in February, March, April, May, we are going to have reading plans that we're all going to go through as a church together. And they're super simple. And we are going to commit in 2020 to reading through the entire New Testament. Just the New Testament, okay? And here's how it works. On the back of this card, it says five by five by five, and it's five minutes a day. Okay, anybody have five spare minutes per day? Okay, thank you. Everybody does. And it allows us to then get through the entire New Testament in five days per week, two rest days. We call them RD or reflection days where we consider what we've been reading. And then there's five questions on the back here that you ask as you're reading through the scriptures. So in January, we're going to read through the Gospel of Mark and the book of Acts. In, in that whole month, one chapter per day. In February, we'll give out another card that will detail the reading pattern, and we'll all go through this together. And I really believe this is going to help some of you who aren't reading the Bible right now, don't know how to read the Bible, you haven't been reading your Bible. For those of you, by the way, who read your Bible more than five minutes a day already, don't downgrade, okay, to our level. Don't do that. Add it to your, I already read an hour a day. Cool, good job. You, you can join us here. But for the rest of us who are busy and you're scattered and you're sporadic and you don't have that devotional time set aside, okay, we're going to do that this year. And I believe God is going to then use that to create a new mind, a new heart, therefore a new you, new steps, new journey, new vision. So as you leave today, I'll be passing these out throughout the month of January, reminding you on social media as well, hey, here's what we read today and here's what we discussed. And there'll be platforms. We're going to hopefully have an app in January as well, and that should be on there. And so grab one of these cards before you leave today, and we can get into God's word and get God's word into us. Everyone okay with that? Can I get an amen, amen from somebody? Okay, okay. Appreciate that. I do appreciate that. So take your Bibles now. Let's get into God's Word today and open up to Revelation 11. And because I had so much fun in Revelation 10, jump back with me three verses into verse 9. Revelation 10, 9. And I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask God to bless our time. And to today, I think it's so, so cool how the Lord orchestrates His Word. Today we're going to see, I'll just tell you what we're going to see. We're going to see John, the revelator. He's been receiving the book of Revelation. God's been showing him stuff. He's been watching it, writing it down, writing it down. And today, the angel says to John, enough just watching, let's get working. And he starts to tell John to do stuff. 
tells them to eat the word. He tells them to stand up. He tells them to measure the temple. He tells them to get involved. And I think it's so important that here on this day, we find ourselves at the end of 2019. Maybe you've just been watching. Maybe your whole life as a Christian has been watching up until this point. You've been good at watching, man. You're pretty good at it. You got some stats, statistics. You're an armchair Christian. You know the best church to go to, the churches to stay away from. You know who's right and who's wrong, but you're just a spectator. I believe that today the Lord would say, I want you to move to the next level, listen, of participation. Not just consuming, but contributing. And here's the cool part. As I look around the room here, I see a bunch of different people. Some of you extra different. Okay, just, you know who you are. And you know what's cool? God made you that way. He made you that way. For such a time as this, he made you. Different than me. He made you. And the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that there are certain offices of leadership in the church. Pastors and apostles and teachers and evangelists. Okay, there's just a few. And their job, okay, is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. The job of the offices, they're, they're small. There's not that many. There's actually not enough for all of us. There's not enough. Okay, just a few people get those offices. Their job, my job, is to equip the body to go out into the world and to do the work. To be the light. To be the church. To, to be the ones who are out there with, with the people. See, it's not about getting a bunch of folks to come to church. That's not the goal. That's a means to an end. The end is when you go out and let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When your life is so visibly changed, when from the inside out you're a different person because of how God is equipping you through your time in the word, your five-by-five commitment to reading through the New Testament or you're going to South Beach Church or wherever you attend, and then God says, cool, good job, you're the salt of the earth. Now let's get the salt out of the shaker. Get out into the world. And I believe that that's what the Lord wants you would even just agree with. Wouldn't that be so cool if you just agreed with that? Okay, okay. Isaiah chapter six, the Bible says that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Oh. And by the time Isaiah was done seeing the Lord, Isaiah confessed this prayer. Lord, here am I, send me, I'll go. God actually asked a rhetorical question. God said, who, who should I send? As if God didn't have plenty of people to send. He, he asked Isaiah, who? And he volunteers, and Isaiah is like, ah, I'll go. And then the rest of the book of Isaiah was penned, and Isaiah prophesied the, some of the greatest prophecies about Jesus and his incarnation. Chapter 7 would come right after that. Unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. The, the exact next chapter. Wouldn't it be awesome if today, just today, you said, Hear my Lord, send me. As a matter of fact, I, I prayed that prayer years ago at the Ashton Christian Fellowship. I think it was January 6th, 1998. And I confessed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I've been running from you for years, 12 years to be exact. The Lord called me at age eight to, to follow him and to serve him. And I said, no, in, in my heart, as an eight-year-old little brat there in Bend, Oregon. I said, no. And 12 years later, I, I confessed to the Lord. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> my way's not very fun anymore. My way got me a one-way ticket to the Jackson County Jail and probation and suspension and fines and a bunch of other stuff. And I confessed there that day. I said, Lord, would you, would you hear my send me? And I told the Lord, I said, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm not gonna go talk to the pastor. I'm not going to Bible college. I'm not gonna do anything, but I confess to you, I will do whatever you tell me to. 
And I kid you not, somebody tapped me on the shoulder, interrupted me in my quiet time prayer, commitment to the Lord, how rude. And Matt Rudazil said, hey, Luke, how you doing? Anyways, don't really care how you're doing. Here's what I'm talking about, like most of us talk. And he said, I'm going to Salem to do an intern with the governor. I need someone to take my spot as the high school assistant youth pastor. I was curious, would you want to step into that role and serve and give your life? Now, I told the Lord, I'm not, you open the door. And here's, wouldn't it be cool today at the end of the year, you just said, Lord, I got some time left. I got some talent, experience, wisdom, know-how. And I might even, I might even have some treasure. I got some, Lord, you've, you've resourced me. It's crazy. Why do I have all this stuff? This is stuff for and then you just say, Lord, use my life. Use my life. I'm going to tell you right now, you won't regret it. I've got lots of regrets. Serving the Lord, giving, saying yes, moving forward in him are not those things I regret. All of my regrets are different than those. They are when I sought to serve me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity. And I would just encourage you to simply say, Lord, let's make 2020 the greatest. Let's do it. What's the Lord going to do? I don't know. I don't know. But because there's so many extra different people here, it could be pretty cool. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, we're going to read your word now, and I ask God that you would be honored in it, and that we would be encouraged, and we would be changed, every young person here changed today, that they would loosen their grip upon their lives and say, Lord, have thy way. I pray for my friends my age and older, that we too would say, Lord, Please, have your way. Enough of my way. Use me in my family's life, in my community, my church. And Lord, would you just show us? We love you. If there's anybody here that doesn't love you yet, they don't know you, they haven't had that sweet encounter, Holy Spirit, would you let them know you love them? You love them. Bless this time we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 10, verses 9 through 11 is where we left off last week. And you'll remember that John is receiving this revelation. He's on the island of Patmos. He's about to die. And God gives him this revelation for three main Number one, to encourage him. Number one, to instruct him and the church. And number three, to warn those who weren't part of the church yet to show them what's coming down the future. Number one, to encourage him. And I want you guys to be encouraged today. Maybe you're going through some stuff like John. Maybe, I'll say it differently. Nobody's going through stuff like John. John had been boiled in oil alive and had survived. All of his friends had been brutally murdered in front of him. The church was being persecuted around him, and he was banished to die alone. And so instead of the Lord delivering him from that, the Lord showed him what he was going to do in the future. He said, I just want to encourage you, John. I know what I'm doing. Maybe somebody here feels like you've been lost, you've been banished, you've been forgotten, you've been betrayed, and the Lord would say, hey, can I show you what I'm doing? And you're like, well, I'd rather you show me a way out of this mess. I'd rather you give me a time machine. I'd rather you fix my issue. And the Lord's like, well, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just not gonna do it. 
but I'm going to show you what I'm doing. And you get to be encouraged. But then he also gave us the chapters two through three, which is the letters to the church. By the way, while we're down here, don't get crazy. Don't act a fool. Don't get deceived. And he told us how to live our lives. And he gave that instruction to John. And then he also gave the warning. That is what's going to happen in the future. For people like you and me, maybe you're sleepy in your Christendom. Maybe you're sleepy in your devotion. Or maybe you're here. You know some people that don't yet know the Lord. You're waiting to see how things shake down if you're going to give your life to Jesus. And he would say, let me just show you the future. Make your decision now to serve and to follow Jesus. And I believe those things are what God wants to do for us today. Look with me at verse 9 of chapter 10. And let me set the stage for you. Do, you. do you remember chapter 10? This angel shows up, this big angel with fire feet and a rainbow hat and a cloud covering. And he has one foot on the ocean, one foot on the sea. And in his hand, he has the Bible. And in chapter 10, he raised his right hand and he said, I swear to God that the mystery of the kingdom of God shall be delayed no more. Remember that? He, he swore to God. He swore, which is something that I don't encourage us to do. Swear. This angel promised John that what was promised and prophesied to happen was about to happen. Then he told John to eat the book. Do you guys remember? He said, come and eat the book. Look at verse nine. Here's where we pick up again. So I went to the angel and I said to him, give me the little book. <laughs> John. And he said to me, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I'd eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Stop right there, eyes up here. The apostle John, needing encouragement, needing instruction, and needing a warning himself. And this angel said, all of that comes from God's word. And he presented God's word to him. Notice what the angel said to him. Take and eat the book. You know what John did? He took and ate the book. Sometimes we wake up and go about our day and say, the Lord doesn't do anything for me. He's not talking. He's not moving. He's not opening up doors. He hasn't done his part. And I often respond to myself or others. Well, have you been doing your part? I haven't heard from the Lord in two weeks. Well, what portions of the Bible are you reading? I'm not. I've been looking for him on Netflix, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? John was told to eat the book, and he ate the book. Let me just say this simply. God won't make you eat his word, but he'll tell you to. He instructs us. He commands us to. He offers it to us. But you've got to do it yourself. You have to taste it. You have to take it. You have to do the work. We're putting it all together for you in January 2020. We're going to get through the New Testament. It's going to change your life. We're putting it all in. But you've got to do it. And when you do it, though, he guarantees you it's going to be sweet but it's also gonna make you sick. And you might ask yourself, what are we talking about? And, and this is the way it starts, in your mouth. When you first approach God's word, hopefully this has happened to you. When you first approach God's word, it is so sweet and so delectable and you see God's promises and you see his mercies and you get his grace and his forgiveness and you receive his power. And some of my sweetest times in my life are sitting there just, oh, getting into God's word. But then if you're honest, if you've read the whole Bible, there are parts in there that are rated R. Have you read the whole Bible before? And there are parts in there you're like, I need to see a counselor now that I've read the book of Judges. Like, you know what's going on? It gets gnarly. And yet the Bible's honest about itself. It says, oh yeah, it's sweet. But it's also honest and real. There's an underbelly. There's a reality. Heaven is real and it's forever. Woo! 
hell is hot and it's forever. Whoa. And there are things that we wrestle with. And yet the Lord says to you and to me, eat the scriptures because once you eat the scriptures and get into it, man, I'll tell you what, you're gonna find yourself blessed. Devour it, read it. Jesus, the Bible says of him that he was the word and the word dwelt among us and became flesh. Isn't that weird? John chapter one. The word became flesh. He dwelt, he's the word and he, in, in, in other words, here's John eating the word. It's becoming part of him. And, and I would just say it this way, man, you gotta, if you haven't done this yet, if the word of God hasn't become so sweet to you and part of your very life and your existence, okay, 2020, make it that way. Ask the Lord to just, just don't be a grazer just every once in a while and a fair weather Bible reader. Did you notice that John wasn't instructed to read the book? Hey, just come glance, take a peek, eat it. We're talking full de- consumption. And that's what changes your life. Yet there's a cost. I remember my pastor at the time, Andy Green, first person I ever heard read the word of God and explain it and apply it, changed my life. I was a drug dealer at the time, walked into the Ashland Christian Fellowship knowing I needed God. And this man stood there and read the Bible, explained it and applied it, blew my mind, it was so sweet. And so I kept going back for more and more. My mind was renewed, my life was renewed, my, everything changed. But I remember one time Andy Green stood up on stage and he said, man, ministry would be awesome if it weren't for all the people. <laughs> and I was a young man and I remember he said that, I was like, I don't get it. Like, I'm having a great, it's all sweet so far. It's all, and, and he'd been through the, the ringer. And I think as a young man, I was like, no, that word is sweet all the time. And in ministry, sweet all the time until, until I tasted the bitterness. Okay, the reality of life. You guys realize we live in a broken world. I remember the first funeral I ever did was for a, a dead baby. And this, this baby came out not right and didn't make it. And I got a call from the neighbor of this couple that didn't know the Lord that had just lost their child. And they said, Luke, would you come? I was a young man. And I was holding this dead baby. These people's property. And the grandpa had built this box. And put the baby in the box and buried it. And I'm thinking, this, how do I? This isn't fun. This isn't okay. In the ministry, in the word of God, it's sweet. But there's a reality in our broken world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to bury your kids. Jesus went on to say, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And I hope you've tasted the sweetness. And I hope you look for it. And I hope you celebrate it. But as you walk through the bitterness, I remember the first time I saw a couple that had done their wedding vows, done their marriages, and then divorce. Wait, I did your wedding. You can't get divorced. I remember my wife and I drove from Ashland all the way to Monmouth to try and rescue this couple. Just left everything. I think it was Valentine's Day weekend. We just, let's go. We gotta go rescue. Couldn't do it. Didn't work. I remember the first time in, in the ministry, a, a partner of mine, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine fell into sexual immorality. Failure in the ministry. And she went, wait, wait, we're not, we don't do that. We did that. And have, have you experienced bitterness in life? In the ministry even, as a Christian? And you couple that with the sweetness because it's sweet. And yet if you've been doing this for any season, if you're a dad or you're a mom or you're leading somebody or you're trying to do this, man, you sense the weight. You have a target on your back? I have a target on my back. I feel like I have a target on my front and my back and 
my beard especially, and you know. You feel the weight? You feel the weight of the devil in your life? I feel it. It's crazy. And yet the sweetness and the bitterness. And here John, he's been sitting there kind of just participating, watching, spectating this entire time, just watching, watching. And now finally he's like, hey, eat the book. It's sweet, it's bitter. And then in the final verse of this chapter, chapter 10, verse 11, he says, now I want you to go prophesy. There are many, I'll read it to you. He says it this way, now that you've tasted of the Lord's heart and you know the Lord's program and you know what he's doing and it's, oh, it's so good. But it's also heavy and burdensome. He says to him in verse 11, and he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. You know what the Lord says to him next? Let's go. This is John. He's been doing stuff for a while, but now he's got new information. He knows the future. He sees what's happening. And the Lord says, John, tell people. Tell people what's happening. Tell people and let it be born out of a heart of love, a motivation from above that God has changed you and is now using you. Most famous Verse in all the Bible, maybe, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved everyone so much that he sent his word, he sent his spirit, he sent his prophets. Remember the Old Testament? He sent everything. He sent everything. I'm gonna say just this cavalier didn't work, okay? Didn't save anybody. It's all messed up. And God knew the plan the whole time. He's like, okay, just wanna show you. I just wanna show you. So now, because I still love you, I'm gonna send my son. Okay, and then he tells John, taste the word, it's sweet, it's also bitter, okay? Now go tell people about it. And the way you're gonna tell people about it in 2020 is if your heart is similar to God's heart, full of love for other people. You gotta have love. For God so loved that he gave. You ever had like a neighbor friend of yours ask to borrow like a tool or something? Like a shovel or a weed whacker, you know? You let him borrow it because, you know, you're supposed to. And then maybe, maybe you borrow something a little more intense. You, remember, you ever loan your car out to somebody? They bring it back, you know, with less gas than they took it with. And they said, I promise it didn't hit nothing, but it's full of dings everywhere. And you ever have that, you know? You ever loan out something even more extravagant, like maybe your house or like an RV or something to a, to a friend, you know? And by the way, if you have an RV, let me know. I'd love to borrow yours. But anyway, so, you know, <laughs> let me ask you this question. Have you ever considered loaning out your kid as a ransom for someone's life. I thought about it last night. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I thought about what that would, last night, I was thinking about that, and think about it with me now. If you had kids, and we needed your kid for a ransom, you're not getting this kid back. But if you give me your kid, they live. I'm not gonna, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you could do it. What if somebody told you, now your kid's not coming back. They'll live, your kid's not coming back. You'll see your kid in heaven. Like, you okay with that? It's like, dude, I don't know, man. I don't know. Probably not. I don't, I don't know. God says, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I say that because God has given you the word of God. It's sweet and it's bitter. And he's asking you to share with other people. But you probably, you, you might not. Because I don't know, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't, want, I don't really love those people. If they want to borrow my lawnmower, sure, I suppose I'll let them. But I don't really love them that much. My mom and dad came over on Christmas Day. They were in Beaverton Christmas Eve. And, and they stopped by and 
Agate Beach where I live, and we were just talking, and man, it's so fun getting older. And, and as you get older, young people, brace yourself. As you get older, you actually become cooler. You guys figure this out yet? You become cooler. You don't know it as a young person. Old people are cooler than you, but you know. Because when you get older, you just stop caring how you look. You know what I'm saying? You just don't care anymore. And, and my mom and dad came over. We were just talking. I was just so blessed in my, my parents' presence. And my dad started talking about sharing, being a witnesser, evangelizing. And he just kind of vocalized it in his own terms. He's like, I don't, I don't really want to share. I don't really, I don't, that's not my, I'm not wired that way. And, Yet there's something in my heart that's saying, Joe, Joe, why don't, why don't you share more? And he's just having this conversation based on the teachings of Revelation. And he's having this conversation. He's considering this, and the Holy Spirit's been moving in his heart. And actually, the cool thing is my dad's different than me, and he's different than you, and, and he's going to share in a different way. And so the Lord put on his heart his, some of his family members back in Minnesota and some other people. And, and so my dad got all excited. He's like, I'm going I'm to write some letters. I'm going to send some Christmas cards. I'm going to do some stuff. I'm going to the people that God is putting on his heart. And my dad's old. He's 120 years old, you guys. <laughs> nah. He's 70. That's still old, you know. It's, it's, it's full-fledged old. And he's standing in my living room saying, I'm excited. I'm excited to share and to give and to love. And I know my dad. And by the way, my dad has done nothing, from my, under, from my estimation, nothing other than share, love, and give in this community. I mean, he's just, he's amazing. You guys who know Joe. But, but, but the little Holy Spirit's stirring in his heart, like, well, maybe I should, and the Holy Spirit is so faithful to stir you up. Maybe I'll start at home with your spouse or your kids, your neighborhood, just to not be such a spectator, but to be a participant. Don't be such a consumer, but be a contributor. What has God given you? You got any time? You got any talent? You got any treasure? The answer is yes. You're gonna be held accountable to those things God has given to you, and right now he wants to stir you up in 2020. He wants you to take the word, understand the program, and then share it. I asked the first service if they remembered that one time when I asked you guys to pray and close your eyes and the Lord would give you a picture of a person that God wanted you to share the gospel with. The 9 a.m. service had no, remember, no recollection of this at all, okay? So it must have happened a couple years ago. But I remember a couple years ago when I asked you guys to pray and just close your eyes and let the Lord give you somebody. And I remember when I did that, because I, I did it too, and I prayed, and I closed my eyes, and I did it just at the last service. I'm going to do it at the end of this service. So, Lord, who do you want me to share with? And I remember when that happened a couple years ago, the Lord gave me, boom, instantly, this girl's face popped into my head. She worked at Fred Myers, one of the checkers there. She doesn't work there anymore. And the Lord said, that's who I want you to share my love with. I was like, okay, I'll do it. Did you know it took me six months to get around to doing it? Six months I would see this checker. And I would go to the you check yourself line, you know, and just to avoid, you know, responsibility. And I remember one time I drove to the Fred Myers in Eugene, you know, to avoid it. And <laughs> ordered all my stuff on Amazon.com instead, you know, and I'm kidding, you know. But after six months, I went through a check, and I went through a line a couple of times. And finally one day I was like, hey, 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 check this out. I said six months ago, I prayed. And I, and I asked God to show me. Somebody who needs to know that Jesus loves them. And your face came into my mind. I'm not kidding you. And so I need to tell you, Jesus loves you. And I'm still praying for her and for the other people. And the person that God gave me at the first service, like I, I tried to dodge it. I was like, no, not that guy. And the Lord says, no, that guy's like, all right. That's my 2020 project. That guy. And no, he's not here right now, so don't worry about it. Wouldn't it be awesome, though, if we 
decided to let the Lord use us. Look at verse 11 again so you know I'm not making this up. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. Imagine a bamboo stick, three feet long. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside of the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Let me give a spiritual application quickly before I give a prophetical application. John now is told to actually do stuff. Get up, John. Let's, do, let's measure stuff. Oh, okay, I've been watching. I've just been kind of watching this whole time and writing stuff down. Now you want me to actually get to work? And what he's asked to measure is the temple of God and the people of God and the altar of God. To me, what the Lord is saying to him, hey, get involved in the church, what God loves to do. Measure it. Now, not measure it because we need to know the linear foot, okay? In those days, and in this day, if you measure something, it's indicative that you own it. It's yours. As a matter of fact, if you own your home, you know how many square feet there are, okay? You don't know how many square feet are in my home because it's not your home, and if you do know, it's because you're a stalker and you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know how much money you have thereabouts because you've measured it. It's your money. You also know how much money you don't have, how much debt you have. You know what you owe to the bank thereabouts, and you might not have the exact number. You know who does? They do. They know exactly because it's their money and we measure stuff that's ours. And so what the Lord is saying here is that's my temple. Those are my people. And I want you to measure. I want you to get involved. Now that's the spiritual application. And I think it's for some of you here today in 2020, God wants you to, to own the church. He wants you to own the Sunday school program. He wants you to own the sound program. He wants you to own, own missions. He wants you to own the life groups. He wants you to own something. He wants you to do something. Okay. And it might not be this temple, but it definitely is this temple. The Bible says that we're the temple of God. He dwells here and he uses us and he wants us to invest in who we are for the kingdom. To, to measure means to own it. Now let me just talk prophetically real quick for those of you who are Bible students and tracking here. How many of you guys know there is no temple in Jerusalem right now? Everyone know that? There is no temple in Jerusalem. There's a temple mount. There is going to be a third temple one day. We do not know when, but it is soon. I've been to Israel twice. We'll be there again in May. And in Israel, there's the temple mount and there are what is known as the temple faithful and the temple institute. We'll go there again. And when we go there, we'll see the high priest uniforms that they have all made, all the instruments, the 90 some instruments used for temporal sacrifices and offerings all of it is ready to go as soon as the third temple is rebuilt. Now, how many of you guys think building a third temple in Israel on the Temple Mount next to the Dome of the Rock Mosque is kind of a hot button discussion going on in Israel today? It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a miracle. As a matter of fact, it's going to take the prowess and the wisdom and the power and the leadership of a man known as Antichrist. Yeah, Antichrist. The Antichrist will strike a deal. He'll broker peace in the Middle East with the Arabs and the Jews and the remaining people who are neither Arabs nor Jews, the people who just want peace in the world. And he will broker a deal that will allow a third temple, listen, to stand next to the Dome of the Rock Mosque. Put those pictures up there and I'll show you quickly. My pointer, I think it works. Maybe it doesn't work. That is the Dome of the Rock Mosque in the middle. Directly to the right of it is an area where in 1984, a smarty pants theologian studied and figured out you could actually put the Temple Mount right to the right of the Dome of the Rock Mosque and have both worship places exist at the same time. In the Dome of the Rock Mosque, underneath there is a craggly rock where you actually couldn't build anything on, and that is where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. The Arabs today teach that Abraham sacrificed Isaac 
Ishmael, which is off the story and not true, and they have concluded that if there was peace, if there was a, a unification of sorts, they could build right to the right. Go ahead and switch over to the next slide. Let's see this view. To the left there, again, my, my pointer has gone dead on me. Maybe we'll have another pointer, Amazon.com. Oh, it's almost there. Not going to happen. On the left there, you'll see a, this is the wailing wall right here, and this is the separation and a tunnel that leads you up here from the men and the women, and all of the people that get access to the Temple Mount can come up in this region. And as you walk around here to the backside, there is enough room for this third temple to be built. You can take that down and focus back on our text. Let me just make sure for some of you skeptics who just will tuck this away. That's going to be a big deal. It's going to require a miracle. As a matter of fact, when John received this instruction, measure the temple and the people and the altar, it was 96 AD. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Titus Flavius, the Roman emperor, went in and one of his boys on accident lit a fire in the temple, destroying everything, causing the gold ornaments and furniture to melt into the cracks, which the soldiers later on uprooted every stone upon stone, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy that not one stone should be left upon another and the temple was destroyed, just like Jesus said. So when John heard this, measure the temple, he's like, what temple are you talking about? There is no temple. 2,000 years later, there's still no temple. But check this out. Bible students have been reading this forever going, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it's a spiritualization. As a matter of fact, for 2,000 years when there are promises for Israel, every Bible student from the 1900s before has said, well, that must mean the church, not Israel. Because guess what? In the year 1800, there was no Israel. 1700, no Israel. 1650, no Israel. Israel's gone. And then in 1948, May 13th, the UN nation, the United Nations, decided unanimously, let's let Israel exist again. Let's let a nation be born in a day. Let's do something that's never been done and give a nation back their heritage. And Israel was born. And they still don't know why they did it. It was a mistake on political fronts by some, but it was a miracle. I say that just to say this. The fact that Israel now exists and all of the prophecy buffs that have been reading scriptures for 2,000 years, there is no Israel. There is no, oh my, there is an Israel. Well, it still needs a temple, guess what? It will happen one day in order to fulfill this prophecy. You and I won't be there, so we don't really need to worry about it too much. John, though, is instructed. It says in verse 2, actually, leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Check this out. Did you know that right outside of the Holy of Holies is the court of the Gentiles, which is right where the Dome of the Rock mosque exists now? where if you built a temple, the outside could be given to the Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew. The Dome of the Rock Mosque didn't get built till the year 600 AD. So when this prophecy was given, John was told, oh, there's gonna be Gentiles up there. Uh, I'm not sure how that's gonna work, but I'll just write it in the margins. And now we know all of this prophetically, foretold then, waiting upon now, and the developments are happening. This is great news for you and I who are live today. God's asked us simply to be witnesses, but if you're looking for context, looking for facts, look no more. Let me say it this bluntly. If you're waiting for evidence, if you're waiting for facts, if you're waiting for data to give your life to Jesus Christ and commit to his kingdom, okay, there's already been given enough. You need to make a decision. There's already enough evidence now. The only reason you wouldn't give your life to Jesus Christ and his kingdom and what he's doing is because of a hardness of heart, a stiffness of neck, and rebelliousness in your spirit. I don't want to do it. 
And I don't want to do it. He's given enough. Make, make a decision today. An analytical, data-filled decision. Look at verse 3. He says, and I will give power to my two witnesses. This is new. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. That's three and a half years. These two witnesses. I'll talk about them in just a minute. Look what they do. These are the two, verse 4, olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Wow, these guys are fired up. Verse 6. And these have power, I've got that circled in Zechariah 4, 6 written next to it, to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire. Stop right there, Isaac. This is, this is interesting. We see a temple will be erected. John says, measure it. We see that there'll be two witnesses given a three and a half year ministry period. I believe this is at the beginning of the tribulation period. The Antichrist will show himself and he will rise to power and put this temple together. At the same time, 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams will be sealed to serve, to save. We've seen that already, chapter seven. And then here, these two witnesses are raised up and they are filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Verse four says, these are the golden lampstands spoken of in Zechariah. A golden lampstand with this golden olive plant speaks of this perpetual production of oil and power that comes from the Holy Spirit to do the things that God asks us to do, which is so cool, by the way. Did you know you can't be a good witness, a good mom or a good dad or a good friend or a good father or a good, good brother? You can't be without the power of the Holy Spirit in 2020. Every single service before I teach, I go in my office and I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, hook your brother up. I pray for myself. Lord, anoint me. I'm doing it again. I, they, they need me to be anointed. I need to be anointed. Lord, I can't do it without the anointing. Would you, would you, would you fill me? And the same is true in that power. Zechariah 4, 6, one of my favorite verses says, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God wants to do crazy things, amazing, powerful things. But if you're checking your own spiritual bank account all the time, eh, you don't got enough. But if you're writing checks and Jesus is the cosigner, man, we good to go. We can do things. We can walk on water. These two guys, okay, believe it or not, in the future, they're raised up. Fire comes from their mouth. They can call fire down from the sky. They can plague the waters. They can do all kinds of stuff. The obvious question comes up, who are these guys? Nobody knows. We're not going to be there. It doesn't matter. Some propose it's Joshua. Some say it's Enoch. Some say Zerubbabel, all similarities. Some say that this is Moses and Elijah, which is what I believe. Moses and Elijah both had similar characteristics in their earthly ministries, calling down fire, plaguing the waters, leading and prophesying the law and the prophets, represented by them. When Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17, two guys showed up with Jesus. Who was it? Moses and Elijah. The Bible says that when Moses died, he didn't actually die. He was taken away in a chariot of fire. The Bible says that when Moses died, his body was kept outside of the promised land. In the book of Jude, if you guys ever read the book of Jude, it's in the New Testament, you'll get there this year. It's one chapter long, 24 verses. Jude says this, that Satan actually tried to get Moses' body after he died and contended with the Lord. I don't know why. Maybe it's because there was a plan for Moses in the future. I don't know. All I would say is this. These guys were witnesses on earth and they were filled with the power of God in order to do so. John sees this, and he's encouraged, he's instructed, and he's challenged. Did you know that during the tribulation period, many, 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 many millions and billions of people will get saved through hardship, tribulation? Remember, the tribulation is designed to shake and wake up people in order to 
make up and take up a kingdom. That's what God's doing. And so he provides these two witnesses to do just that. And they're given power. Look at verse seven. I want you guys to focus on this because this whole message, I believe, for John and for us is that we would also say, here am I, Lord, send me. I don't have enough power. I don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't matter. The last thing you want to do with your life is nothing. Jesus taught a parable. He said, I'm going to give to some 10 and some five and some one. Go out and invest. Go, go, go out and make more of what I've given you. Go do it. And the guy that went out with 10 came back with 10 more, and Jesus said, ah, oh, it's amazing. Good job. And the guy that had five went out and he came back with more. He did more. He, he's entrepreneurial. And the guy that had one came back and said, you know what? I got one, but I was just, uh, I don't know, I kind of spazzed out and I didn't do anything. I just buried my talent and I didn't know what to do. Bless you. Very, very many times. Bless you. So many times. Yes, in Jesus' name. And the one guy came back and the Lord said, what, what do you mean you didn't do anything with it? You didn't do anything? Nope. I just, but, but I got it. I just chilled. I just sat on it. I sat on my talent. You what? I sat on it. And he said, no, that's not, that's not, no, 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 no. And he even rebuked me. He said, you should have put it in the bank. At least, at least get a little bit of interest. Now give it to me. And he gave it to the one that did the most. I believe that's the encouraging message that God has for us. Look at chapter 10, 11, verse 7. It says, when they finish their testimony, man, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, he will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will be in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them who dwell on the earth. Stop right there, eyes up here. What in the world? This sounds pretty graphic, doesn't it? And detailed. Which, by the way, gives me great courage. The Lord's telling John, oh yeah, in the future, I got some guys that are gonna work for me. And for three and a half years, they're gonna be empowered. Nothing's gonna stop them. And then after three and a half years, the Antichrist, the beast from the bottomless pit will make war against them. He's gonna come against them. He's gonna kill them. What? And then what? Well, then their bodies are gonna be laid in the streets for three and a half days and the whole world will see. What? And everyone's gonna make merry and send gifts and celebrate that they're dead. Huh? Am I, am I supposed to write that down? Yeah, write that down. Well, that sounds kind of like rated R stuff, like next level weird, like NC-17 video game stuff. And the Lord says, yeah, I know. It's going to happen. It's the bitterness. It's the reality. And you know what I take from it, though? God knows exactly what he's doing. Who, who do you think is in control of the future? God. And he is demonstrating full sovereignty, even in their death. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it has been appointed unto man once to die. You have an appointment with death. God's not caught off guard by your death. You don't need to worry about your death. You're going to die. And until then, God says, I'm going to use you. These two witnesses, I'm going to use you guys until I kill you. What? Yep. And if you surrender your life to Jesus and sow faith into your kids and your community and, and serve and invest your talents, not only will you die one day when you're done, but did you know that your legacy can live on? There will be fruit from your life. 
I don't know what you guys worry about all day. Hopefully it's not death. Hopefully that's not it. Hey, hopefully it's just taxes, not death, just taxes. You know, because you don't need to worry about that. On Friday, I was at Ark Bible Church with Jason Santoni, and we were playing through some music, and there was like an interlude. And, and Jason Santoni, he, he played a little riff with his guitar. Guitar players do that kind of thing, you know. And he, and he played a Free Fallen by Tom Petty. You heard that before? And I said, oh, we should do, you know, Free Fallen by Tom Petty at the praise party, you know, just kidding around. And, and, then, and then I said, man, isn't that crazy that Tom Petty's dead? He's gone. We, I just began to, you know, I was looking right at Jason with the guitar. I was like, I was like you're going to die one day, you know. I said, you're gonna, I just looked, I was like, it's just going to happen, dude. Everyone dies. We all die. It's, it's crazy, this thing. Life, it's, oh, you know? And then Jason's like, dude, I'm going by the rapture, bro. He's like, I'm going by the rapture. That's all I know, man. I'm, I'm rapture. I was like, I'm with you, dude. I got my rapture socks on. I hope so, too, you know, and things are getting crazy. But ra- rapture or death, it doesn't matter. It's, and it's, it's insane. And it, it should motivate you. It should encourage you. Here Jesus says to John in the Revelation, oh yeah, I got these witnesses, man. They can call it on fire. They can stop playing. They, can, they are my witnesses. And then the Antichrist is gonna kill them. Like, and you're gonna let that happen? Yeah. All right, you must know some stuff I don't know, bro. You must have a whole different depth that you're running from. And the Lord says, oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. It wouldn't it be awesome if you believed that? If you had no fear in death, no shame in life because of Jesus, because of what he's done. There are people that do worry about that, and I get it. You don't have to. You can be set free. You can live above the noise. I I would point out the grotesqueness of what happens here. They are killed somewhere in the Middle East. If you don't know what the Middle East is, the Middle East is a conglomeration of Muslim countries that surrounds Israel, which is a Jewish country. Every other country in the Middle East is Muslim. There are pockets of Christianity inhabiting these countries, but they're all Muslim. And in the Middle East, the Middle East is a, is a different place. Have you seen the news before? They, they do things differently. And when, when people die, they, they, and when enemies die in Benghazi and some stuff that happens in, in the, the other worlds, in, in the Middle East, they'll kill people and they'll hang their bodies t- today for, for days on end. Christmas Day, I don't know if you guys saw this, in, in Nigeria, in Nigeria, the, the 10 Christians that were, actually 11 Christians, Christmas Day, they released a video ISIS did, a fresh video of 10 Christians on the beach, and they all got their heads cut off one at a time. And the 11th one was shot in the head. And, this, and they, do, they do this with, on TV. And, and so while this has for years seemed gruesome and brutal, for thousands of years people have been reading this. And it says here that every tribe, tongue, and nation will see it. Did you know in the 1900s they didn't have YouTube yet? In the late 1800s, Mark Zuckerberg wasn't alive yet. They didn't have Facebook live videos yet, you know. None of that technology was around. I mean, even in the 80s, they didn't have that stuff. CNN was around. CNN was flying around, and live coverage was spotty. But even as the technology advances and develops, oh, now we know how everyone's going to see it all at once. Okay. And all of this, again, is to encourage us, to instruct us, and to warn us. It's coming down. When I was talking to Jason Santoni, I was just like, man, I don't know. You're right. Maybe we won't die. Maybe we won't. I don't know. It doesn't, I don't, I have no control over it. Lord, would you come quickly? It's getting crazier and crazier. Look what this story brings to us next, though. A couple more verses and we're done. I'm going to end on verse 14. 
It says, now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. That is these two witnesses. And they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell in that earthquake. Right now, there's the Great Rift Valley and the Great Jordan Rift Valley that goes through Israel all the way from Lebanon down through Israel and connects with Northern Africa. That area right now, man, we think that we have fault lines here in America. There is one fault line that runs there that if it starts to shake, and it will. The Bible says when Jesus descends and returns that his feet will land upon the Mount of Olives and split the mountain in half, opening up the Eastern Gate, walking through Jerusalem once again. Man, there's, it's all set up for this, and this is in the future. And this voice has come up here. Can you imagine this? Three and a half days, the Muslim nations, led by the Antichrist and the rest of the non-believing people, cheering the death of these two witnesses. I have friends that were in Israel on September 11th, 2001. They were at the airport, getting ready to come home. Tour was over. And all of a sudden, the news started rolling in of what had happened in America. And all international flights shut down. No one knew what was happening. And oh, so their stay got delayed three more days. They had to stay there at the King David Hotel in Jerusalem. And, and the reports from my friends that were there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is occupied by Muslims and Christians and Jews. There's quarters, Muslim quarter, Jewish quarter, Christian quarters. And they share lines in the road. And they said that for the next three days... There was cheering and fireworks and parties and gift giving, celebrating what had just happened, the devastation. Thousands of miles away as 3,500 people lost their lives in the Twin Towers. And, and here, 2,000 years ago, it's prophesied, oh yeah, when the, tw the two witnesses are executed and brutalized, their bodies will be seen in cheering and gift giving, merrymaking for three and a half days. And then the Lord says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not done yet. I'm going to speak and their lives are going to come back and they're going to come up and be with me and the earth will quake. Verse 13 says that the earth quaked and 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid, listen, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. I'm going to have Ryan come up. He's going to lead us in a song and we're going to worship. Let me leave you with these thoughts. These witnesses are killed in action. Three and a half years, pretty good run if you ask me. Moses and Elijah, I don't know. Zerubbabel and Joshua, maybe. Enoch and someone else, possibly. And yet their lives are cut short in witnessing. And you know what the Lord did three and a half days later? He raised them up. Let me tell you something. If you are down in the dumps today, or find yourself down in the dumps in 2020. Can I just encourage you? The Lord will raise you up. As a matter of fact, you will find yourself down in the dumps. You know how? By being a Christian. It's not gonna be easy. Paul loved people so much that as soon as he got saved, he preached to everybody. He went on his first missionary journey, planted churches all over the place, and he went back through the same churches on the way back through, but he was in a wheelchair bandaged up. He died. They killed him on his last church plant. First journey. 
And he went back and he preached to all those churches he had just started months earlier. He's like, hey, remember me? Yeah, they killed me. And his message was this. Through many trials and sufferings, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Hey, guys, do it. He was lifted up. You who are believers here, man, you're going to get kicked around. The devil's going to come at you. The Antichrist himself, the beast from the bottomless pit, he's going to keep you down in your marriage. He's going to keep you down in your business. He's going to keep you down in your accountability group. He's going to keep you down in your circles. He doesn't want you up. And you might even be right now on your back saying, oh man, I tried, Lord. Lord, did you see I tried? I tried. It didn't work. Can I encourage you though? If you choose to witness, if you choose to read the Bible, if you choose to get involved in the things of God, there will be a bitterness. There's going to be a cost. But he will raise you up. There is no greater remedy for depression and downness, listen, than in serving other people, than in getting involved, than in representing God, than in sharing the truth, getting into a conversation about the Lord with your kids or your spouse or your friends. I promise you, the Lord has given you the words of eternal life. And he said, don't keep these for yourself. Give these away. Give these away. Don't show up to heaven with a bunch of words tucked away in your coat. Like, I didn't give them away to anybody, you know. Give them away to your grandkids. Tell people about the Lord. I'm gonna ask you guys to pray with me. We're gonna take communion. Lord, in Jesus' name, now as we come to the table and celebrate your broken body and your spilled blood at the last service of the year, we do so with great thanksgiving and expectation for, Lord, a great year to come. Lord, if we're honest, we're all, we're all just, we're all just here. We're all pretty weak if we're honest. But like these two witnesses that were given special power, that were anointed from on high, that were protected and appointed for a certain season, nothing could stop them until they were done. So too, Lord, this group that's here, as we come to the table, we have all of that. We've been equipped and protected and appointed. If you're here right now, before we take communion though, and you would literally say, I need help. I need help. I, my life's a mess. My, my marriage isn't where I want it to be. I'm, my business is not, it's just, ah. And I don't, I don't want to be a loser in 2020. I don't want to be like that guy with one talent, come back, ah, I was scared. Ah, I got some days. I got some, I got some stuff, but I'm, I'm shell-shocked or I'm lazy or I'm, I'm sinful or Hey, if you need help, that's the simple question. If you need help, if you need Jesus to help you, to change your life, to make things right, to fix things, to heal things, to take you into 2020 different through the power of his word, through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit, through the instruction of what he's gonna do in your life, would you right now just say, yeah, I, 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 raise your hand up right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just raise up your hand and say, Lord, I need, I need your help. By raising your hand saying, yeah, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit's power. Humble yourself. This is between you and the Lord. You have not because you ask not. You wonder why your life hasn't changed. You wonder why you can't see. You wonder why you're still bound with bitterness and anxiety. And the Lord says, you haven't asked me in. I've offered you, the, I've, I've given you, but I'm not gonna make you do it. Raise up your hand right now if that's you. And you need to repent. And you need the Lord to save you, to change you. To help you. Lord, you see the hands, dozens and dozens of hands all over. In Jesus' name, would you bless, Lord, your, your body, your witnesses. Encourage and 
instruct and warn us in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you have more, more to give. Perpetual flow from heaven in Jesus' name. Fill us now. You can put your hands down. And before we take communion, Lord, would you give us a picture right now of that person? Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's your UPS guy. That person that you want us to pray for and us to witness to and us to tell them that you love them. Right right now. Got a picture? Look for it. Ask the Lord for it. Who is it? Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a student. An athlete. And they, I don't know. And you are now equipped for the work of the ministry. Lord, you soften their hearts right now. Soften that guy's heart. Lord, I'm going to focus on that dude, Lord. I want him saved. In Jesus' name, would you break down the walls, Lord, of blindness and bitterness, Lord, and carnality in his life. In Jesus' name, would you save his soul? And would you give me, Lord, the courage to be like these witnesses who live on purpose? Thank you, Lord, for the motivation that is seen here at the table, your death body, burial, and resurrection. Would you bless us now as we take communion? In Jesus' name, amen.